And my name's Jonathan Latchaw. I'm one of the pastors here. We're ending today our series, How to Be Brave. And um, have you guys enjoyed this series? Has it been a good thing for you? Have, has it been something that, that has made you think and, and get, your, you know, get your heart focused on the right things? I, I hope so. It's been one of my favorite series. I'm a big proponent of not living in fear because really, honestly, I've been someone who's dealt with fear so much of my life. And I remember when I was little and I was looking to my dad because I had so much fear. I was afraid, I mean, really of, of almost anything. I was afraid of the dark. I was afraid of talking to people. I was afraid of talking on the phone. I was afraid of girls. I was afraid of a lot of things. I was afraid of anything scary. I was afraid of demons. I was afraid of angels. I was afraid of all kinds of stuff, right? And I remember, uh, yeah, and ants too. That's, that's a different story. I watched a horror movie where there were killer ants destroying homes and, and eating people. It was black and white. It was, I mean, I'm old. So, and, and, uh, and that night I went to bed and I looked over and I was feeling scared and I looked over and there was a stream of ants crawling up and down because my soda had spilled or my candy had like melted down the wall. So the ants were, and I was like, no, and they're here. So, and I remember thinking and looking to my dad when I was little and I was thinking, man, he's not afraid of anything. I, I can't wait till I get older and I won't have to deal with fear at all. I won't have to be the scared little guy. And, you know, look at him. And I realize, I don't think there's like any age you get. There's not a magical number you reach. And you're like, now I'm done with fear. I don't, you know, nothing scares me. Really, this is something that you deal with all your life. And so this series, I feel like, has been, you know, profound. And sharing so much truth, I, I hope, um, speaks to us. I, I need the clicker, too. Man, I'm, I'm a mess. It's over here. Okay, guys. Oh, man, good thing this isn't live streaming today, because this would be embarrassing. Um, and, and so um, I want to start with, a, a, t- today we're going to end, and it's going to be a, a challenge for all of us, something that I think, I hope we carry with us um, as a community and as individuals in our family, in our workplaces, in our schools. Um, but I want to tell you a story. Back in, uh, uh, I think it was March 3rd in 1943, there, uh, there was downtown London, you know, that was the whole time when they were afraid of the, the bombs from the Nazis, and they were under siege, and there was a lot of fear in the streets. And, and the government decided to try out a uh, warning signal, but didn't warn anybody they were going to try out these, these sirens that were, like, supposed to warn you of the bombs coming. So they did this, and everybody out in the streets just, they heard these sirens, and they began to panic and freak out. You know, cars screeched through a halt. People started, you know, ducking, falling to the ground, screaming. And then there was even people who started screaming, even though this is just a warning, a test. It's kind of like what you hear on the radio, like, right? That thing. This is a test, but everybody thought it was real. And so they were, they were freaking out, and they were yelling, I see the ships coming. You know, I see the planes coming. I see the bombs falling. And so people just started panicking. And there was the nearest shelter was this underground subway station um, called the Bethel Underground or something like that. And um, as they were growing down, there was already 500 people down there because they were working on building this thing. It hadn't even been fully done. And so people were rushing to get down there. And so there was hundreds of people going through this stairwell, freaking out. Now, can, does this look real safe to you? Right? This does not pass code at all. And so the trouble began when a woman who was carrying a baby got knocked over and she fell down. And then she knocked another person down. And another person down. And they began to all just crush into this place right here. Because there was so much panic. And the people on the outside who were trying to come in thought that the people down below were barricading them from getting in. So what do you start doing when you think you're getting barricaded and you want to get to safety? Push. And so they began to push. 
and pushed. And the people down here were getting crushed and crushed. By the time, this lasted for about 15 minutes. By the time it was all done, 173 people were trampled to death. And it wasn't the bombs. And it wasn't the war. It was fear that killed all those people. And see, this is the thing. Fear loves a good stampede. Fear loves panic in the streets. Fear loves a culture of fear where everybody is looking for the next thing to terrify them. You know, this is the first generation in generations that have been, you know, tracking this, that they're more worried about what their kids are receiving than, the, than what they've lived through. They think it's going to be worse for their kids. There's so much fear and worry and anxiety that we think the future is bleak, right? And we've talked about this, that we look at all these fears that kind of grab hold of us and, and attack us. And there's fear of, you know, fear of, there's all kinds of fears. Fear of failure, fear of the dark for me, fear of the future, fear of sickness, fear of dying. You know, when they do like statistics for people who are worried about their health, it pretty much is like 100% everybody thinks they're going to die sooner than later. Like there's just so much panic and worry. And you read it, you know, the news has picked up on it. And I know we talk about fake news a lot, but a lot of times the news does want to cause panic because that gets people's attention and it causes a stampede of fear. It causes sleepless nights. And can we talk about sleepless nights for a minute? Because um, I want to share with you, see, our family really got caught up in the, the Stranger Things series. We, we, how many people have seen this? We loved it. It was like, it, it, it tapped into feeling like it was kind of like Goonies, but also kind of like Ghostbusters and E.T. And it was like so good. And so we were like, we loved it. We were so excited about Stranger Things 2 coming out. And so we were anticipating it came out and we watched it and we loved it. And I was like, this is great. It was such a great experience. And so I, there was a movie coming out. That I thought, you know what, this is really, this is a group of kids who are fighting something evil and they band together and it's really similar to Stranger Things. And so I was like, hey, we're going to go see this, Judah and Cozy. And so um, this is what I took my 11 year old son to see. It, it was a colossal failure on my part. Okay, and Rebecca was in full support of this. She said, we got to toughen him up. We got to make him stronger. No, she was not happy when she found out. It wasn't a, we didn't have a long discussion about it. It was, you know, more like, hey, we're in the movie theaters. We're watching it right now. And so, um, so this started a, a string of sleepless nights for our, Rebecca and I and Judah, where like literally the poor, this is, this is what he looked like. That he was terrified every night. And and this is the thing, he was caught up, I mean, it was terrible, it was a really scary movie, but he was also caught up in this irrational, like, we, we sat down and talked to him every night and said, hey, listen, do you believe in killer clowns that are supernatural? And he said, no. And I said, well, then, then what are you afraid of? Killer clowns that are supernatural. <laughs> and it was like again and again and again, and, and, and we had to work, and it took, like, months of him sleeping with the lights on, Door wide open, music on. I mean, the poor kid was so terrified. And I was talking to him. I said, what, what helped you get over this? And he, and he said, well, eventually, I just stopped thinking about the clown. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's great. But the, the, the thing is, is fear is a cruel master. And if you allow fear to be your master in this world, you're going to live a life where you are panicked, that you can't sleep 
you can't dream, you can't hope, you can't live, you can't use your gifts. And we live in this culture. And so this is my challenge for us today is this. In the stampede of fear, can we remain calm? Like when everybody else is screaming and worried and afraid, can we stand and say, no, I'm not going down and, you know, I'm not going to run after the panic that's causing, you know, that's causing me to do that. Can we be people who stand out? Let's not get caught up. Now, listen, we can recognize danger, but we don't need to dwell on it. We, we, can, we can recognize where there are problems, but we don't need to let our lives be defined by the fear that surrounds us. See, I feel like God wants us to walk out of this series, not letting fear define us, our circumstances, but actually letting what Jesus says and the hope that he gives define us. What he is speaking to us here. And so in the stampede of fear, can we remain calm? You know, I, I, um, I love this story. And we have a couple guys who are going to get up and share a testimony about, about how they've worked through this and how they chose to be brave. But, but I love this story. This is the story of Jesus. And he's working with his disciples. And now Jesus and disciples together. And then he goes off in the mountains. And the disciples get in a boat. And Jesus says, hey, go across the Sea of Galilee. And I'll meet you over there on the other side. So this is where the story finds, finds us, okay? And so this is in John 6. A strong wind was blowing. And the waters grew rough. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, and this took all night, this got to be about 4 a.m., 5 a.m., rowing through the dark. And these guys were fishermen, so they knew, but it got rough, it was hard, it was scary. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. Why were they frightened? Because they thought a ghost was coming to kill them, right? They were afraid of the killer clown. I mean, they, they freaked out when they saw this spirit walking across the water. Now, it wasn't a spirit. It was Jesus because he's awesome. He can walk on water. I know it's unbelievable, but Jesus did a lot of unbelievable things. And so this is where I think the turning point happens. This is where the disciples do something that is so crucial for us to live out being brave in this world. All right, And it wasn't that they were incredible people or they had superhuman strength or they had trained for this all their lives this is what they did oh no but but he said to them it is i don't be afraid and this is a turning point this is what they did then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they're heading they invited jesus into the boat even though they were afraid because they heard the voice of jesus and they said jesus get on in here And see, this is the thing. When we are going through that struggle, when we're going through the valleys, when we're surrounded by darkness, it's our choice to invite Jesus into the boat. He won't jump in there himself. He is waiting for us to say, hey, come into the boat, Jesus. It's you. We don't want to be afraid anymore. Join us in the boat. Get into my life. Get into this situation. Get into my children's lives and where they're struggling. Get into my future when I think about it. I'm afraid. Get into this, Jesus. See, we have the burden on us to say, get in here, Jesus. And he's, all, he's ready, you know? And listen, the miracle didn't happen, right? Because this is crazy. Immediately, the boat reached the shore where they were heading. It's, I mean, that's a miracle. Sometimes we don't know how Jesus is going to move in our lives, but if we're willing to invite him into the boat, we will see his power working in our lives. See, it, it takes us not focusing on the fear, the frustration, the problems, 
it takes us focusing on someone so much greater. Because listen, so many people are captured by the voice of fear. Fear screaming in this culture saying, you need to protect yourself. You need to be afraid. You need to hide away. There's another voice we need to listen to. And that's the voice of Jesus saying, it is I. Don't be afraid. How much do we need to hear that in our lives? That is the voice that that is speaking that we need to listen to. Because listen, we have God in our corner. And this is what I'm learning in my life. Our victory over fear, because I have struggled with fear all my life. And once I got over one thing, I was like, yes, I'm free of fear. Now I don't have to worry about it. It would like morph into another thing. And I'd be like, oh, I'm really scared of that thing though now. And you know what? The thing is, those things keep coming. And so I don't want to be someone who's knocked down every time there's a new fear arising in my life. I don't want my victory over fear to be circumstantial, but I want my victory over fear to be foundational, where it's something that holds me up all through it all, whatever happens. And this is the thing. Jesus was saying this to disciples because they would, would go through something, and then Jesus would show up, and they'd be like, oh, you're awesome, and that's great. And then they would go through another thing, and they'd freak out, and then Jesus would show up, and they're like, oh, you're awesome, that's great. And Jesus kept on saying, guys, Can you get it? Can you understand that when I'm here, you don't have to freak out. You don't have to be caught up in the stampede of fear. You don't have to worry like everyone else worries. Why? Not because of you, but because of me. Right? So we want our victory over fear not to be circumstantial, but rather foundational. So that no matter what comes our ways, and there are bad things that come, and there are good things that come, no matter what, we have victory over fear. And see, this is the voice of Jesus. And, and Michael and Kevin, if you guys can come on up. We've got Michael and Kevin. They're going to share a couple uh, stories from their lives about how they invited Jesus to their boat when they were afraid, when, they, when their, their boats were rocking. So come on up here and you guys sit down. But this is the thing. Jesus is speaking, and this is what he spoke to the disciples. And this is, he said this more than anything else. It's, don't be afraid. But listen, instead of listening to the voice of our own anxiety or our worries, wouldn't it be amazing if we could listen to the voice of Jesus. And this is what he's saying. And imagine he's speaking it over you right now. Imagine he's saying that into your life, right? Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. When reports come in of wars, of rumors of wars, of terrorist attacks, of all kinds of things, school shootings, keep your head and don't panic. Don't let your hearts be troubled or afraid. Do not fear. Therefore, you are more valuable than the sparrows. And I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you have trouble, but take heart. He's overcome the world. And so those are the things that Jesus speaks over us when we are in that place of panic. When, we're, when we want to run with the, fear of st- the stampede of fear, let's let his voice calm us down. Let's let his voice bring us back to a place of peace. And so um, Kevin and Mike are going to share a little bit about uh, their lives, about how they chose to be brave, to invite Jesus into their lives when they went through a time where they could chose fear. So we're going to start with Kevin. Hi, everyone. Can you guys hear me okay? Cool. Um, so Jonathan had kind of uh, asked me to talk a little bit about um, just some struggles and things that I've been going through, um, I guess, in the last uh, year plus. So I'm um, just pulling up my notes. I recently uh, switched jobs, um, which is not an easy thing for, for anyone. Um, so I'm, I'm not naive to think that 
this isn't uh, a challenge that a lot of people face. But so a little bit about me. Um, I guess so for the last six years, um, I worked for Major League Soccer and the, the, the professional team in Philadelphia. Um, I, I started out there in 2011, worked my way up. Uh, I started as a sales rep. Um, you know, making phone calls and selling tickets and stuff like that, and and ultimately kind of worked my way up to being um, the the director of season ticket sales. So I kind of oversaw the execution and the sales staff and service and all that other good stuff. So um, I'd really kind of created a, uh, I guess a somewhat easy role for myself. Um, you know, it wasn't always easy at times. Obviously, anybody that's a soccer fan knows that the the union hasn't performed all that well, uh, I guess at least in the last six years. So with season tickets kind of being a um, – being a, a lot of sales are based on team performance. Um, at times we'd have to get really creative on, and um, just how to incentivize the sales staff and stuff like that. But anyway, so, uh, so that's where I was six, uh, for the last six years. And then ultimately I was kind of pursued for a new opportunity uh, with Villanova University to oversee their – um, full ticket operation uh, for, the, for their athletic department. So, um, you know, the inter- interview process was pretty intensive. I met with, you know, like at least 10 members of the athletic department over a couple months. And they, from the get-go, I knew it was an important role for them. So, um, you know, ultimately I was, was offered the, the position. Um, I committed it to a lot of prayer um, and just talking to, you know, mentors and people in the business that I – um, I guess I, I, I respect their opinion. So, um, ultimately I, you know, made the decision, uh, to, to start working at Villanova and I've been there for about a year and, uh, it's been a, a pretty wild ride, uh, to say the least. So, um, you know, I guess when you start working at a new, uh, a new job or a new position, um, you don't really, you try to do as good of a job of, I guess, um, trying to figure out what the what the landscape is for um for the position so uh, you know but once I got on campus is when I really started to see the challenges and all the different stuff that um I guess Villanova was lacking in the ticketing area um anything from uh you know poor facilities poor technology they had no kind of real foundation of um I guess structure, um, which from an outsider's perspective, before I started working there, I thought, you know, like a lot of other people think is Villanova, you know, they've got all the money, they've got all the technology and stuff like that. So that wasn't the case. So, you know, in the first year working through implementation of a CRM and marketing automation and an actual like email campaign for, for ticket sales, it's, it just ultimately ended up, excuse me, being a lot to, to handle, and, and one thing that somebody told me when I first started was there's, there's two things on, on campus that are important to Villanova that nobody really talks about, and one is admissions, and two is men's basketball tickets. Um, and as obviously everybody knows, the men's basketball team is, is pretty good um, and, and operated at a pretty high level, so the expectations are really high. So um, it was a total different role than I had really kind of thought it was going to be, and, and it just kind of took me down a path of um, just a lot of worry and a lot of, fe- a lot of fear. And, you know, for me, um, you know, kind of being the person who 
you know, oversees everything. Um, it was it was different than than what I thought, and there was a lot of times where I thought that I had kind of bit off more than I could chew, and countless times where, you know, I'm driving I'm driving home from where Megan and I live in, in Kennet, and I'm like, I, I'm out. I don't think I'm doing this anymore. Like this is it's cool to work for Villanova in athletics, but like, I just can't get anything done. So. Um, and there was also some stuff that, you know, kind of came up for me in terms of, like, anxiety. And it wasn't anything that I'd really dealt with before, um, you know. And, and ultimately, I, I, I ended up having two panic attacks, like, full-blown. Uh, like, thought I was having a heart attack in my car. And I just – it wasn't anything I experienced before. So it was it – was, it was new. You know, I went to, I went to the hospital both times because, I, I mean, I thought I was pretty much dying. Um, but ultimately, you know, obviously I was checked out and, and I'm here. So, um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, but I, I definitely at that point was, you know, a, a slave to, to fear. And, um, you know, it's, it's luckily for, for Megan and I kind of around that time, that I took the position at Villanova. I guess I'd been there three or four months. Uh, we got invited to City Light. And Megan and I had been going to a church in Delaware County for pretty much um, since I'd moved back from Colorado. But, you know, it was, it was here where I really could, you know, kind of feel that I needed to build, um, you know, a more firm foundation for myself, um, both, both personally, but then also at work, too. So... Um, you know, a lot of people talk about God's timing and stuff like that. And, and for me, that was one of the things that I really, um, I really believe in because I don't know that I would have been able to get through everything I'd been through in the last, you know, year plus without having, you know, that foundation, um, you know, in the community and, and everything. So, um, I have that, uh, I have that rock that um, Christian talked about. I don't remember what the exact date was, but at the end of the service, you know, he was talking about the Sermon on the Mount and uh, gave out rocks at the end of the service. Well, I have, it's on my desk, and uh, I think about it every day, and, you know, and, and I've started to change my routine up of, um, you know, really putting stake into my relationship with God and devotions and podcasts and you know, it's, it's got me through and, and I, I, I made the choice to, to not be a slave to fear. And I know that every day is not going to be easy, but you know, in committing to having a stronger relationship has really kind of helped out yeah. with, um, with everything that I've gone through. So. Awesome. Awesome. So, I mean, I think, thank you, Kevin, for sharing. I think that's really, we're really powerful. I think we all go through times where we feel overwhelmed by the choices that we've made and put ourselves in, even, even though we feel like God's leading us and, and sharing that vulnerability. Thank you so much. Um, this is Michael. Uh, can you guys say hi to Michael? Um, Michael, I asked this morning because the other person who was supposed to share uh, got called into work. So um, um, Michael has so much good to say, but Michael, we only have about five to seven minutes, so we're going to do this, five to seven minutes. Michael is really, really good at sharing details um, for a long time. So, um, but... Um, uh, so I'm just putting it out there. We're all going to keep Michael accountable today. Um, but Michael has a story to share that I think is really powerful. That is a true story. <clears throat> uh, two things. Sorry about the union. I was an inaugural season ticket holder. And um, 
I, I quit. Four years, so uh, Villanova. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and full disclosure, I have zero notes, and, um, and I can ramble. So yeah. Anyway, um, I do have a lot to choose from as far as uh, this sort of stuff. Um, I faced a lot of fear in my life. Um, I'm not sure why, but um, I'm okay with it. Um, and, uh, back in uh, 2002, my father, um, and this is, this is a good one, so I'm, I'm just going to stay with that. Um, my father uh, had a you know, gallstone that got stuck in, in his uh, pancreatic duct, which is sort of random. It went um, sort of misdiagnosed or undiagnosed, and uh, he has a high tolerance for pain and you know, never really tells anybody if he needs help or how he's feeling. He's always kind of like, uh, I'm good, you know? You know um, and uh, the short story is it ended up killing his uh, pancreas, and he had to have all kinds of crazy replumbing inside um, uh, at that point in time. And, um, and he almost died. He had emergency surgeries with stints and all this stuff. And, uh, and f- fast forward 14 years later, um, some of the things that they told us after that surgery were starting to come to fruition. They said that his other organs were going to be taxed sort of extra his liver and, um, and his kidneys and such. Um, and he, after that, he had ended up with um, type 2 or insulin-dependent diabetes and uh, had a real hard time managing that. He, um, he would fall out um, all the time. I don't know if he just couldn't handle keeping track of that stuff or what, but um, it was kind of scary all along the way. Um, but um, finally, he, his, uh, he, he ended up with this fatty liver, they called it. Um, it's non, uh, non-alcoholic cirrhosis. And, uh, and we were sort of helpless as far as what we could do for it. Um, they said eventually he may need a liver transplant and, um, and uh, you know, sort of nothing we could do. Um, the funny thing or, the, or the, the kind of weird thing with that is in order to get a liver transplant, you need to get really, really sick. But then you need to be well enough to have this really crazy surgery. So, like, he um, – and we, like, didn't want him to get really, really sick, but we wanted him to get a new liver. And um, there's tons of people um, who, who, who need organ transplants. Um, and, and during this whole process, I was real close with my, um, my men's group, with church. Um, we were praying. Um, I certainly was faithful. Um, but my default is I want to control it all. You know, what can I do? So, so my plan was um, I'm just going to give him part of mine because I'll just be a living donor because, you know, I can control this part, you know. So, um, so I, I went through this whole process of going down to University of Pennsylvania, and um, they did, like, psych evaluations and, like, you know, MRIs, contrast, no contrast, like, all this um, – crazy, crazy stuff. Um, they put my body through the ringer. They, they, they just, they mentally, like, they broke me down. Like, I, I've been, um, uh, I've been in recovery for 12 years, um, from alcoholism and addiction, and way back when my dad first got ill and, and was dying, um, I was, like, absent. I was, uh, marrying my wife, which was awesome, but, um, I really wasn't engaged in my life, and I certainly didn't care about anybody but myself. So, fast forward 14 years later, I'm like not there and uh, and sort of not thinking about myself and all about doing this and um and I'm going through this whole process and it took four or five or six months and um and I'm like all right you know enough like what's up can I do this I mean I was a match 
So, I, you know, my liver matched. So I, I remember uh, I was coming home at one point. I parked in my driveway, and I got a call uh, from the hospital. It's this woman, Laura, who I had been t- the. You get, like, this team that uh, is assigned to you. And I was speaking with her and, uh, all the time, and I was like, hey, what's up? You know, I'm thinking, like, all right, let, let's do this. Um, and mind you, this is, like, a really, really, really serious procedure to have. Um, but I wasn't really thinking about that. I was thinking about the fact that, like, I could control this. I could do this. And then my, my dad, um, you know, c- could live and stuff. So she told me, um, hey, Michael, um, I, I just want to tell you I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, you've been denied. And, uh, and so I was, she said that you have crossed arteries at the surgical um, point. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, um, you know, maybe I could come back down on Wednesday and we could like, you know, we could take another picture or we could like, I don't know, maybe the doctor can like, like massage that area and we could sort of, you know, and she's like, no, no, um, you you can't, you can't do this. And I was like, well, you know, maybe there was just something blocking it and, um, you know, maybe... I can just come down and we can just figure it out. And, uh, you know, part of me thought that, like, they were afraid that my mental was going to break because I was in recovery and I had this young family and we were doing well. And, and I was like, I thought it was my fault. Like, and then um, because I wasn't going to believe that I actually had crossed arteries and they were actually telling me the truth and, like, it was a really dangerous procedure and, you know, um, because I thought it had to be my fault. Because sometimes my default is just, you know, I'm not, like, it's just my fault. But um, anyway, uh, I didn't know what to do. I really did not know what to do. And uh, and I hung up the phone, and it was, like, amazing. Like, all power was, like, any control I thought I had over being able to help my dad was, like, gone. And uh, it's funny, I just, uh, I ran for, like, I don't know, like 11 miles, I think. I just ran. I got out of my car, and I just ran. And I was weeping, 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 and I ran. And, um, and you know what? Um, the short story is, because I know I'm probably over time anyway, but, like, my, my, my dad got really, 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 really sick. And uh, sick enough to be at the top of the list with his meld scores to get a liver. And uh, Nick Paca came down and laid hands on my dad and prayed over my dad. I stayed with my dad at the hospital for like nine days in a row. And every night, nobody was there. And every night, I just walked around and I played worship music. And they had all these goals written on the whiteboard. And I erased them all and I wrote Jesus. And I just just sung over him and just, I was there all the time. And then all these people come visit him during the day and I would leave because I didn't want to see any of them. And they were all angry and blaming everybody, and they had no solution, and, uh, and I didn't want to be around them. And then they would all leave, and I'd come back at night. Uh, and I would spend the whole night there, and uh, it was pretty awesome. One night, um, the doc, or one morning, the doc, I would stand around with all the, like, the, they did all the rounds and stuff, kind of like house, you know? And, like, I would stand there, and I'd be like, all right, paying attention to all this stuff. And one time, the doctor came in, and um, after, it was right after Nick Palka had prayed, and the, in the morning, they came, and they said, hey, I don't know what's going on, but, like, he got well. Like, he was really, really sick. He raised up on the, on the list, and then he got well, well enough to have surgery. 
And like moments after that, literally as the doc was walking out of the, out of the door, his pager went off and they had a liver. And like things just started to move really, really fast. And, um, and he had the surgery. He got a new liver. And he's like, uh, I don't know, five years this side of it now. And uh, yeah. it's amazing. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, 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 we were tracking with Michael during this time, and we all thought his dad was going to die. I mean, really, it was, it was that dire. And, and, and thank you, Michael, for sharing. Because um, I feel like sometimes um, we can talk about the times that we we're disappointed. But, like, um, the thing is, when you invite Jesus into your boat, you don't know what's going to happen. And, and Michael invited Jesus into that hospital room in a big way. And Jesus showed up, and there was healing, and there was power. And, and, and this is the thing for all of us, whether you're going through a loved one who's, who's sick, um, going through a huge life change, you know, going through something that's causing you worry and anxiety. Um, we need to be people who choose willingly, actively to invite Jesus into our lives, into our boat, right? And, and that's what Michael did. That's what Kevin did. Um, and, and this is a thing, too. When... When you're freaking out, you don't want to be around other people who are freaking out. You actually want to be around people who are calm. And, and when we carry that peace and that calm with us into this world, into this culture of fear, people are going to be drawn to what Kevin has, to what Michael has, to what you have. You know, as we choose, and that will give us so much opportunity to help people to speak life to them, to speak truth to them. You know, fear is a liar and likes us to believe the lies of this world. And we don't have to live under that. And as we choose not to live under that, we can help other people, right? And so when everybody's running a stampede, if we're calm, people are going to know, why is Kevin calm right now? You know, because he's inviting Jesus into his boat. He's realizing how important it is to have that faith. Why is faith overcoming fear in Michael's life? Because he's chosen to invite Jesus in. And all of us can do that. So let's just stand up together. Um, Could the band come back up? Um, And let's give Michael and and Kevin a round of applause. Thank you guys for sharing so much. Um, You know, I want to give us a chance in our hearts just to invite Jesus into those areas that, that we're overwhelmed with, that we're afraid of. It could be something, and this is the thing, it's not just a, one big circumstance. It could be something that you deal with daily, like getting out of bed, like getting out of bed and facing the day. That just overwhelms me, and that's really hard for me. Um, there was uh, a missionary family whose house burned down in 2008, and they lost everything. And this seven-year-old boy was, was heard praying this prayer. I want to read it, and then we're going to end with this, this time of, of, of worship. Um, I want to read this because I just think it's so powerful that a seven-year-old boy can get this, and if we can have any, a little bit of this, as he was watching everything he owned burn down to the ground, um, this is what he prayed. It's kind of long, but I'm going to read it. He, said, he was saying this, and his mom wrote it down. This is just what he was praying. He says, Through the wind and the rain, through fire and lava, the Lord will never leave you. Through earthquakes and floods, through changing sea levels and burning ash, the Lord will never leave you. If you love him, he will bless you and he will give you many things. Who can change the Lord's words? Who can stop the Leviathan? The Lord, of course. Who made everything? Who made the animals? Who made the dinosaurs? He's saying this prayer as he's watching his house burn down. The Lord, our God, who can stop the Lord? Who can chase a cheetah across the plains of Africa? The Lord, he can. Who can stand on Mount Everest? Who can face a rhinoceros? The Lord. 
The Lord can give you sheep and goats and cows and ducks and chickens and dogs and cats. He is seven years old. The Lord can give you anything he wants, just like David fought Goliath, that Daniel lived through the lion's den, just like Moses on the mountain, the Israelites fought the Jebusites. The Lord will never stop his power. Who can face a T-Rex? Who knows what kind of animals lived thousands of years ago? The Lord, he knows. Stop all the evil and be kind to one another. Who can stop the Lord? Who can face an elephant? Who is brave enough to face a lion? The Lord, who's as fast as a horse, who can catch a blue whale? Who is brave enough to face a giant squid? The Lord. Just as Jesus died on the cross, so the Lord has done. The Lord will never leave his people. The Bible is his word. The Lord is a good leader. The Lord who loves you and he will not forsake his people. The end. See, our hope, how we can be brave is Jesus. It begins with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. And there's a lot of steps in between. But if we can let Jesus in, then we are going to win. We are going to find victory over fear. If we can let Jesus in, we don't have to live in the panic and the stampede of fear. If we can let Jesus in, we can have a foundation of victory over fear that will keep us steady all through our lives. So let's just welcome Jesus in as we sing this last song. There's prayer over there. If If you know you struggle with anxiety, fear, worry, panic, please get prayer. That's part of inviting Jesus in is letting other people help you and pray for you. Let Jesus in. Jesus, we look to you. Thank you that you are the hope. Thank you that you are the one who will never forsake us. Thank you that you are the one who comes when we most need it. And you say, it is I, do not be afraid. God, I pray those words will speak into each one of our hearts, each one of our spirits, that we will not be afraid because you are with us. It is Jesus, the hope for each one of us. So we invite you in. Remember, we were talking about the one big thing we were focusing on. The first week Christian talked about the fear that you were running towards. Jesus runs with you towards that fear. You are not alone. So Jesus, thank you for this time. And so I just encourage you during this last song, just to let your heart go to him, receive prayer, and fix your eyes on what he has for you, because it is good. Thank you, Jesus. So Jesus, we invite you in. We invite you into every area of, of darkness, God, every area of shadow, every fear, God. We invite you in. Lord, we invite you in. We invite you into the boat, Jesus. And we know that you are power and you are strength and you are hope. And we rest in the knowledge that you are. You are so greater than the world. You are so much greater than our fears. And so, Jesus, we put our faith in you far more than fear. And let us walk in the victory that you have for us, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this incredible series of, of you teaching us, God, how to be brave. We want to be brave. We want to be calm. We want to walk in peace so others can come to us. And so, Jesus, we love you. You are good. We're running to you, Jesus. We put our hope in you. We rest in you. And we bless you now. Just bless every person here today. In Jesus' name, amen.